0: Hi there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with PureAndSimpleBible.com and and I'm very thankful to have another mini-series for us to go through and listen together today and it is on the cost of our sacrifice by Brother Greg Gay. Now, Brother Greg has brought this Episode from a time in King David's life in the Old Testament, and there's so many valuable lessons that can be drawn out of it. Stuff that I hadn't even thought about before, but it's going to be one of those where it's helpful for you to maybe take a, a slow walk with us through the scriptures. So these are a couple of extended episodes, and uh, there are some things in here where we need to take some time and talk about and flesh it out. So it, it's going to take us a bit through it, and I think it's better for it. So Walk with us through the scriptures as we consider the cost of our sacrifices. Let's jump into it, shall we? Something I've been doing lately is asking my guests to introduce themselves in case there are listeners that have have not met you. So do you mind, before we begin, just taking a minute to introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: All right. My name is Greg Gay. I'm glad to be with you again, Jonathan. It's been a while. I was born and raised in Missouri, a member of the Lee Summit Church of Christ, which is out in the country, out of Lebanon. Mm -hmm. I have a long family history of being part of the Lord's Church on both my mother's side and my father's side. I grew up and started working at a regular job and moved to California, uh, preaching along the way, eventually began working with a church in Sacramento, Mm -hmm. where uh, we were there 25 years or so working with that congregation as I continued to work at a regular job. Along the way, uh, Cassie and I, my wife, raised our three children there. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the time came for me to leave my day job, as I call it, and we moved to Oklahoma to be closer to aging and ill relatives, we ended up uh, living in Edmond across the street from our son-in-law and daughter, Justin and Lori Owen, and more delightfully, four of our grandkids. <laughs> and we, um, then I was asked to begin working with the Piedmont congregation. That's where we selected as a home congregation uh, whenever we moved to the area. Mm-hmm. And I'm now working with them and just delighted to be part of that. I've held meetings for years, preached for years of course covid has stopped all of that but i'm in the area to conduct a gospel meeting so this is this is a wonderful time and i'm thrilled to be here
0: good well i'm glad you're back i had a lot of good feedback on the the episode specifically uh, dying with dignity yeah so if people haven't heard greg on the the show before they need to go back and find dying with dignity i don't have the number of that episode off the top of my head. So you'll just have to look
1: it up. But uh, I think it also included living with dignity. So I think living and dying (laughs) with dignity is what it it was. Sure. (laughs) Now you, in your day job,
0: was that an HR? Well, it was. was your title?
1: Always office work. I ended up with various titles through the years. Okay, It was for a company of at times upwards of a thousand or more employees with 20 locations in California and Nevada. So I had a lot of personal experience with individuals, issues in the workplace Mm -hmm. of every possible kind. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing how frequently issues that came up were solved by biblical principles, Uh even though individuals had no clue. That's what (laughs) they were, that's what they were following. A, A situation would come up where we would be in a lawsuit or have an official complaint or even an unofficial complaint. And I would be asked by supervisors, what are we going to do? And I would say things like, well, we're going to tell the truth and uh, (laughs) we're gonna tell the truth. We are? Yes, we're gonna gonna (laughs) tell the truth. So that was an amazing career uh, for me. And I enjoyed, it was uh, most of those years we're working for, uh, was a family owned business. Mm -hmm. And so I enjoyed working for them and uh, using biblical principles on them as well. Sure. That was just great. Now, personally, I've reached out to you many
0: times as I've gotten started in this next chapter of my life with marriage and family therapy. You've done a lot of formal and informal training about how to offer counseling or therapy advice to couples and families,
1: et cetera. So that's, that's been a big part of your ministry too, right? It has been for, for decades now, and I, I accidentally decided to try to help when I found <laughs> out, out about a situation and did my best and then decided I really need to learn more about what I'm trying to do here, and that was, I think, my family section of books in my library is, is, um, it, is probably the best read section of books in my library because I've needed to look things up over and over through the years. But the greatest joy uh, has not been with troubled individuals or troubled marriages, even though I've seen some amazing, wonderful successes of people turning their lives around. Mm-hmm. But the greatest joy has been in premarital studies. And I've, I have have had premarital studies with, I don't know, um, 50 to 100 couples through yeah. the years. Most of them... Are successful in their marriages, <laughs> which I'm thrilled with, and and they just become like my kids. You know, I just love them to death. Yeah, and I'm so glad when they have successful lives. But that's a labor. That's a labor of love. And, it is uh, an absolute joy. It's a lot of work. I've used a workbook that has 12, well, 13 chapters covered over 12 long sessions. It's a lot of work but by the time people get through they're ready to be rid of me and i'm ready for them to get married and move on with life (laughs) that's
0: good (laughs) is that a workbook of your own making or is it produced by someone else
1: and you've you've adapted it to meet your needs i've used a workbook by h norman wright and wes roberts called before you say i do Uh yes it it has gone through several revisions not for the content because the content has stayed the same since its origin in the 70s i believe but they changed the pictures uh, to try to keep up with with the fashion <laughs> trends of the day and the latest revision of that book is they took out all the pictures <laughs> so it so it could be more timeless right. some of the complaints i would have is like well that's not that's not very in style it's like <laughs> well it's not the pictures we're looking right. at you know it's the content that so, reminds
0: me about those old jewel miller yeah. Uh tapes, film strips, you know, yeah. the film uh-huh. strips and tapes, the slides. <laughs>
1: Ooh, those lampshades from yeah. the late 1970s, they just don't speak to me today. Yeah. So I was able to use that and I prefer working from someone else's material and then modifying it and and creating my own out of that and using that as a foundation. Mm-hmm. That's that's just my preference and yeah. and uh, so anyway, that's been that's been a delight uh, for me through the years. Well, brother, you have you've been uh, we don't know each other very well
0: correct we we know of each other and mm-hmm. and I know of you obviously you're, you you're older than me so <laughs> <laughs> i know of you but mm-hmm. even so in in the years of my interest in a similar field you've been very helpful and a a big source of inspiration as i see you hold meetings where they ask you about family and mm-hmm. and so i know that's been a big part of your work i'd like it to be part of my work and so thank you for what you've mm-hmm. done to help younger guys want to follow in the same path? Oh, I'm thrilled so, you are. So, well, you've brought a study today called "The Cost of Our Sacrifice," but I'm noticing the tie or the scripture is Second Samuel 24, and so I know there's going to be that parallel between us and what's going on in Second Samuel. But maybe we could just begin with uh, asking that that first question are we somehow involved in this
1: old testament scripture well we look back to learn from all the things that happened long ago and there are so many old testament stories that can motivate us and inspire us to correct living in christ mm-hmm. so this is just one of those places where we look and say would i have would i have responded the same way mm. Uh, right. Would I have gone to the same amount of trouble, or would I have done something different? And I think that's a daily decision we all make. Is like, what does being a Christian mean to me today? Is there, is there anything that I'm struggling with that I'm going to be successful in dealing with today, yeah. or am I going to face my struggles and just shrug my shoulders and walk away? So where is, where is our sacrifice is always, I think, part of daily living.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, for those who don't know this scripture off the top of their head, uh, maybe should we
1: read a few verses and, and sure. maybe you can give us some context to what's going on? Okay. Second Samuel 24, beginning with verse 21. Then Arona, and I looked up how to pronounce that because I have no idea. And if you pronounce it differently, (laughs) fine. Then Arona said, Why has my lord, referring to David, the king, come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Arona said to the people, Let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the wood oxen for wood, all these O King Aroni has given to the king. And Aroni said to the king, "May the Lord your God accept you." Then the king said to Arona, "No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing." So that's the end of the episode that David is involved with. This is the conclusion of it. And so we know how it ends, but the fascinating thing to me, or part of the fascination with all of this is, what did David do uh, to uh, to end up in this place? Yeah, yeah, and I can get some clues there, know I see words,
0: or you know, a plague has happened, David is attempting to buy a threshing floor, which... That's just a place where they would throw up the wheat and Uh the chaff would blow out and the seed Uh would remain, right? So Uh it seems a little confusing. It
1: might be helpful if we backed up. So we go back to the beginning and in two different places, 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21, there are accounts there where David ordered a census of all of Israel. Mm -hmm. The census was something that had not been done, and it was not something David had ever done before, I don't believe. Now, there had been censuses taken of Israel right. in generations gone by for s- such things as the division of lands right. and the um, uh, the division of lands as well as uh, the uh, the redemption of the firstborn there were there were censuses done in in those times, but for a king to order a census was not something that happened. So this was brand new, and Joab, right, which was a ruthless man. I want to preach on Joab before <laughs> I die. I've, I've thought about and that. It, it's just it's so brutal. <laughs> uh, you talk about loyal uh, to David and many times to God. Just brutal in how he solved problems. Yeah. Yeah. Joab could stand up to David, or any man for that matter, and Joab stood up to David the king and said, don't do this. Yeah. You don't need to do this. This, yeah. is, this is not right. Uh, but David persisted, and Joab obeyed the king, and then Joab went out with a group of individuals under his command and they went through all of israel from one end to the other and they did a census i think the census was likely done of everyone but the report ended up being how many fighting men were available Mm -hmm. in all of israel and that census took um nearly 10 months wow it was a long (laughs) journey (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. And they're not traveling in a car, you know, they're no, going to be on horseback. or they're not. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, you had a little note at the bottom too. This is mm-hmm. 10 years before his 40 year reigns over. So it is in the second half yeah. of the yeah. second act, so to speak, of his yep. career. He He's had a lot of experience as a king. This isn't a rookie mistake. No, it's not. I guess my question would be, so I just called it a mistake. Some people might wonder Why? Why is it a mistake to take a census of the people? It seems like that's just a
1: thing the government does. When you look back at how God helped Israel, Israel was, yes, a physical nation. Mm -hmm. They were also a spiritual nation. They had benefits that no other nation on earth had ever had. One of those was God's protection specifically God's protection against their enemies. Now, we, when we remember the story of Gideon and the deliverance of Israel in Gideon's day, it had nothing to do with how many troops they had or how trained or special they were. This was not like David's band of mighty men. Right. This was 300 guys that lapped water like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so God didn't need these amazing numbers of soldiers to, to help Israel to victory. And so David numbering the people seems to be an insult to God, saying, uh-huh. I have to depend on the strength of Israel right. for Israel's success. Right. And that has never been the case in all of David's reign. You you mentioned in your, your notes that uh, part of the insult
0: was that God had promised previously that he would not be conquered during his reign, or even the time of his son Solomon's reign. And so if we're following that line of reasoning, his lack of faith is is on full display. It's like a smack of pride that he would do this in God's face, right?
1: Well, you have you have God's guarantee for Israel and God's promise to David. And God's promise was, you'll not be conquered. And God's promise to David was, that the kingdom would remain intact throughout the reign of David's son. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that eventually that kingdom fell apart, but God's promise to David was, you don't need to worry about that. Yeah. So for David to do this census meant that he was occupying his time doing something that could have been spent with greater profit. Uh-huh. Okay. I may ask this question, by the way, later
0: on, um, comparing David's... Well, I can't remember how I did it that other time, so hopefully we'll get there. But is there a connection here between, like, this is the negative side of David meddling with what the later generations should have been focusing on versus that positive of when he wanted to build the temple? And, you know, God said, no, it's for Solomon, it's for later is, that, is there any sort of parallel there, a positive way that David was looking, trying to help impact the future? Here's a negative way, That or am I stretching that too far? I
1: don't think you are. I, I thought of this um, just today. As we look to David, of course, his errors stand out. Yeah. Uh, this is a secondary error, you might say, but it's still huge uh, more normally when we talk about David and his errors, the first thing and the only thing we may think of is Bathsheba. Right. But right. this actually, uh, was far more devastating to Israel, this mm-hmm. census. But David appears throughout his reign to always be looking for ways to serve God. Mm-hmm. Now he did make mistakes and he did make those wrongs Right. Um, and sometimes he was stubborn in hanging on to that error and and carrying it out to make it worse for himself. But he was always looking for ways to help. And so he wasn't content that the dwelling place of the presence of God was a ragged tent. Right. He said, I live in a house of cedar. Mm-hmm. Can't I build you a house? Mm-hmm. And that's a man that wants to please and serve the Lord. And is showing love. He wasn't doing that because he was a great king. He wanted to do it because God is a great God. And the Lord turned him down. Yeah. And the reason he turned him down is because he said, you're a man of war. You have blood on your hands. Mm-hmm. So there's always something lurking in the Old Testament about the importance of blood. And the blood that David had shed did not lead to the presence of God. Aha. Uh-huh so he promised peace in the reign of david's son solomon so that a man without blood on his hands could build the place of god's presence now the remarkable thing about david he didn't pout when he was turned down he didn't refuse and go ahead anyway he spent the rest of his life gathering materials for the building of the temple right so when the time was right Solomon could just draw on the stores of all the things that David had brought together Mm -hmm. and the temple could be built. And I compare that with many times in our congregations, people say we want elders Uh and we want them, we want them, we want them. And sometimes good men are told, sorry, you're, you really don't meet the qualifications or the congregation has said no. And sometimes they pout, sometimes they throw a fit, sometimes they cause problems in the congregation, and sometimes, like David, they spend the rest of their lives trying to help people be ready for an eldership in a congregation. That's wonderful. I love that.
0: In 2 Samuel 24, 1 and 2, it says, Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah and um i have a lot of questions about that they they are personal questions but i also think the audience will benefit (laughs) from it so why is god angry why does he incite temptation what's the difference between inciting it and then tempting david you know there these are some of the things that were swirling around in my head can you help me understand that
1: well i'll share the mystery (laughs) um and we may end up with more questions than we have answers I don't think we are told in either account why God was angry with Israel. Okay. We do know God's promises to Israel had always had this basis. You behave yourself, I'll help you. Right. You stop behaving yourself, meaning you stop being loyal to me, and you will have problems. So somewhere there was some type of an unfaithfulness is my guess, and God was offended. And when God is offended, he doesn't always solve that offense the same way every time. Hmm, okay. One time, it's a uh, the solving of the offense is going to be snakes that go throughout the audience right. until the brass snake is put up on a pole. You know, another time, the earth may swallow the offenders and take them away from the camp. You know, God has various ways that these offenses are solved. And various things that have incited the offense. So whatever it is, the the step of God in this, I believe, was to withhold his protection from David's temptations. Okay. Therefore, what happened was not a direct action of God because James tells us that God doesn't do that. Right. That's not how temptation works. We're tempted from our own hearts, you might say, when we're drawn away by our own lusts. So God removed
0: his protection from David's, what was the last word? Temptations? Or he removed his protection from David's, I I forget the phrase that you used. You'll have to play it back. (laughs) (laughs) Heavy editing.
1: (laughs) God removed his protection from David's. Well, he just removed his protection from David let's go there okay uh, there he, we go. he removed his protection from david which allowed david to be tempted in a way that he would not have normally been tempted now we trust several things behind the scenes of that we trust that this this wasn't something that 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 god had let david know about right but it was something that was ever present in god's relationship with david right that protection was there and now it is taken away what's the temptation well the temptation it appears is for david to all of a sudden start concentrating on how great he is instead of on how great god is Mm -hmm. so whether or not that is what had happened in the families of israel or the leaders of israel we don't know but god withdrew his protection from david and that allowed a temptation and that temptation Resulted in David saying, "Let's let's count, let's do a census, let's count everybody."
0: Okay, and and you you offer a question, and I'd like to ask it. Uh, you suggest in your study if we could, what would we say to David before he demands the census? In in the answer to that that you have in your notes, you you talk about what we would say to him, but you also talk about what David would have said to himself, if he could listen to a more reasonable person of himself. So can you help us understand that?
1: Well, I'll, I'll cover a little bit on both of those. Um, ultimately 70,000 men of Israel died. Now you talk about something to have on your conscience. Um, if we know that a deliberate act on our part is going to cause the death of any person, that would just break our hearts. We wouldn't do that for the world. Now, It's hard enough knowing that it's our sin that put Christ on the cross, right? Okay. That's, that's a daily burden that we all carry, but to go through life and say, okay, my next decision is going to cause the death of 70,000 men of Israel. Mm -hmm. That's a huge decision. And if we could, we would say to David, uh, save yourself from the guilt Right. Save your nation from the sorrow. Right. Save the families from the turmoil. We would say this is not going to work out well for you. Yeah. And many times we as we get older, we can see individuals going in directions and we can say to them, this doesn't look like it's a good direction for you. And the response that I get from younger people is the response I gave when I was a younger people. (laughs) It's like, stay out of my life. You know, you don't know what I'm going through. You can't make decisions for me on and on. You can't, you can't, you can't. However, experience and time proves that a lot of times we can see directions in people's lives that they can't see themselves. Yeah. Now, in David's case, he was inspired by the Lord and is an inspired author of God's word. Now, we know that happened in Old Testament times. David is one of those authors. We know it happened in New Testament times. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whenever the Apostle Paul confronted Peter about Peter getting carried away with the people over circumcision Mm -hmm. and no longer eating with the Gentiles, the, the rules of New Testament Christianity that Peter violated, that Paul corrected him in, Were the very rules that Peter was chosen to reveal, wow! Because he was the one right (laughs) preached to Cornelius, uh huh, uh huh, and later he violated his own words by inspiration, right? And so we see that being inspired to write something on behalf of God does not guarantee obedience for anyone who was chosen to do that. Well, what had David written? David that. had written in Psalms 20, verses 7 through 8, some trusts in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Well, what was David doing? It seems like he was counting men, but that includes chariots and horses. He was doing the very thing that he said, we we don't need to do that.
0: hmm hmm Okay. it's powerful. You know, I, I hadn't put that psalm in the chronology of being before this you just kind of read the psalms on their own but knowing where they fit in the timeline yeah. oh that's a it's a tragedy that david would do that yeah um you you know a few minutes ago we were talking about how god allowed he incited uh david against israel and he allowed david to be tempted so i guess you kind of answered it by saying we can't know there was a there was a mystery around it but the the, the question is asked how does God's providence act in our lives? Can you take a minute to
1: talk about that? Well, it's, it's a mystery. We know it's there. Jesus himself appealed for the providential care of God when mm-hmm. he taught his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is an appeal for the providential care of God. So we know it's real, and we know it's something we can ask for, and we know it's something that God grants but we will never have any idea when God's providential care has helped us in our lives. We, don't, we won't know when it has prevented us from making bad mistakes because of directions that we have been led. We won't know when that providential care has been withheld mm-hmm. and we, like David, have been incited to make mistakes. We will never know. But the providential care of God is there at God's, um, at God's whim. And how he dispenses that in all of our lives is up to him. Now, we would say, just give me the maximum. <laughs> just <laughs> turn the dial up on me to the maximum, please, so I don't need to worry about things. But that's not the way life works. Right. And we see examples of God deliberately mm-hmm. allowing individuals to be tested. We see that with Job, where there was permission asked and granted for Job to be tested. We see that with uh, Jesus referring to Simon Peter. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And so these would be cases where we can tell, okay, what God normally did in those individuals' protection was not there. But we don't know how many times it was there and in what form in their lives before. So we depend on it. We trust in it. We can pray for it. We can ask for it. But we'll never be able to sense or feel or say, "Well, this is God's providence in my life," or "I have God's providence, but you don't." We'll we'll never right. be able to say those things.
0: Now you talk about a couple of uh, ways that David, because God's providence, he you know he did not prevent David's temptation. You take it a little bit farther by talking about uh, how nothing was mentioned about maybe some positive ways that he was trying to seek God's will on this.
1: Well, he had resources right he always had prophet uh, prophets around him who he could say what is God's will on this yeah he had that uh, the scrolls obviously would have been there if he wanted to do some late-night reading <laughs> there there's any number of things he could have called the wise men of uh, the wise men of the nation together the elders of Israel together and say what do you think about this mm-hmm. there's many ways that he could have sought help but he did not do that. Yeah. He said I am going to have my own way on this item. He could have even listened to Joab who Yep. You I mean,
0: you you called him a I can't remember the phrase if it was Did you say bloodthirsty? Ruthless. Ruthless. <laughs> <laughs> so That's was one of them. <laughs> so was Boaz before he met Ruth. Yeah. He was ruthless. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh well. <laughs> Anyway, um, you know,
0: Joab, he had made a lot of correct, uh, he read the the situation correctly several times in the past, even if his the action he took was ruthless. Mm-hmm. I think about with uh, Abner, mm-hmm. with Absalom. Mm-hmm. So there's these odd ways that he got the job done, but his intuition seemed to be right more often than not. But yeah. David still wouldn't listen to that, even though, he had all of this experience with joab leading him in the right way yeah so he is on a path for disaster um Mm -hmm. but you before we continue there you you continue in your study to make it about us and you for as much as we look at bible characters and shake our heads and say you know how how could they do that you're asking us in the study would we listen to such advice
1: well, and we all have to seek our own our own self here. You know, do we listen to advice? Um, how are we when we get something in our heads that we want to do? Right. And a lot of times, they they used to call that like a horse uh, taking the taking the bit um, between their teeth, because <laughs> a horse that will be reined by a bridle will allow the bit to reside behind their teeth. Uh-huh but a horse that's going to run away will take the bit in their teeth and hold on to it so you can't do anything. <laughs> so we will do that. We will get something in our heads, and we are not going to let it go. And reason, sometimes the Word of God, sometimes the advice of people we know and love will just not help. And so we, we all can look back, and maybe even currently, and see individuals that are making bad decisions in their life seemingly one after another. And we would say to them, as, as Joab tried, this is not right. This mm-hmm. is not going to work well for you. Mm-hmm. And we think, how are we going to be able to in, influence them to do what's right? And sometimes we won't. So Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Now, as soon as i read that verse i say of myself well of course i'm wise (laughs) right (laughs) and so we all tend to see ourselves whatever it is we want as wise but that's not necessarily the case after a while when individuals insist on going their own way we have to let them go we still love them we want to help them we want to be there to help them when they reach back out to us But Proverbs 23, verse 9 says, don't waste your breath on fools in the New Living Translation. And so sometimes we're Mm. chasing after people to try to teach them what's right and they're not listening. They've got the bit between their teeth and they're moving on in another direction of worldliness. And we need to turn around and say, I'm here when you need me because that's the best we're going to be able to do. It reminds me of the
0: father of the prodigal son yeah. He did not chase him all the way to the pit and lift him out of the pit. Yeah. He was the it doesn't say anything about it, but the assumption
1: is he is there for whenever the son is ready to come home. He was ready to run to meet him when he was on the on the lane to right. come home. Right. And I think that's where we all always need to be. But sometimes we as individuals, congregational leaders, families, we can spend all of our time, effort and energy worrying about and chasing individuals who have proven over and over again they right now, right now, have no interest in God and no interest in the church. And it doesn't mean that we forsake that love and that interest, but it does mean we may want to look around and say, where are some positive ways that we can be using our energy to Mm -hmm. encourage people who are faithful and catch someone before they get on a wrong path and help them with things. I think about that with parents, with their children, and
0: there is a sense of we understand that we are free moral agents, but we don't want our children to have free will. You know, We're going to override their sense of free will, and and sadly, if if these grown children or older children start to move away from the Lord, then we're going to do everything we can to not let their free will operate. We're going to kind of ride roughshod over the development of their faith. So I, I, as a parent, I'm seeing what you're saying yeah. and the need to not let our children be free range in their faith, but rather there has to be a point of acceptance and moving and in, transitioning into their faith instead of me living their life for them until
1: the day I die and then they never matured.
0: Does that make sense?
1: It does. Um, we know that free will is true. We know it's there all of us in our families with our kids with those that we know and love we would i think at times all like to suspend free will for just a little (laughs) while (laughs) (laughs) to to straighten up some lives and and to get people turned in a direction we'd like for them to go but that's not ours to do and when we do see it the most is when we're trying to mold and shape a little heart for big concepts. And that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. And we make a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. learning the bigger concepts of how to serve and love God. So the, the whole concept is that we do make our mistakes and hopefully we make those at home, surrounded by loving correction, yeah. instead of having our lives so pressured and squelched and sheltered that we wait until we are adults and leave home to ever begin making mistakes when our support system is not there to recover.
0: Yeah, that's good. We've been talking about others, yep. but the purpose of this was about ourself yep. ultimately and how we can be selectively foolish. And so, yes, I, we think about those we love and we want to suspend their free will for the moment. But ultimately, you're trying to get us to, to consider our ways, right, yeah. in this study. And one of the things we never
1: do Because we usually aren't that close. Um, You know, we are to confess our faults one to another. And I don't think that means that we just walk up to a crowd of people and say, (laughs) Hey, let me tell you about my (laughs) mistakes yesterday. But I do think it means that we hopefully can have close friends, family members, etc. That we can say to them, what do you see? Yeah. What do you see in me? Because we talked earlier about sometimes individuals have intuition in areas that we don't have. And it's like, what do you see in me? And so Cassie will help me. Um, when I start saying a repeated word over and over in my preaching, she'll say, well, you said that word about 88 times. <laughs> <laughs> and that's her was like, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it can be something as, as, as light as that. Or it can be you're reacting with a lot of anger these days. Or you seem to be angry towards this child mm-hmm. and not towards this child. Or why are you not patient with this family when you're so patient with all the other families in uh-huh. church? Yeah. And so it can be so helpful. And if a spouse can serve that need, that's wonderful. If a fellow leader in the Lord's church can serve that need. But we all, my, it takes a lot of strength and courage to ask somebody, look me in the eye and tell me, how am I doing? What do you see? Give me some suggestions. Mm. And we rarely have the strength and the courage to do that.
0: I've, uh, if people from my home congregation are listening to this, I have wanted for the past four years that we've been here since coming home from Cambodia, I've wanted to give out a survey, a how am I doing yeah. sort of survey. Uh-huh but I conveniently have not done that yet yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> because I'm scared.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a tough thing because you don't want just people, you're not saying, Oh, just let, just help me feel good. Right. That's right. That's not the idea. The idea is I don't want to miss heaven. Mm. I don't want to hurt my family. Right. I don't want to hurt my wife, my, my spouse, my children. I don't want to lead a congregation in the wrong way. Um, is there anything there that you see that could help me? Now, the closest we get to that is when we survey a congregation before an eldership Uh because that's when the congregation has this whole list of stuff that they're supposed to answer about individuals. Mm -hmm. And in my experience of working with congregations toward eldership, I find individuals saying things about people And I'll ask them, well, when did you first notice this? Well, about 40 years ago. (laughs) It's like, well, do you think you could have said anything in the last 40 years? It's like, well, no. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) And we could have avoided that. So what is there? It takes a special relationship. But what is there that we would say to someone, you know, you want to be an elder someday. Um, You might want to think about. And find a tactful way to offer suggestions. And sure. if somebody does it, good for them. If they ignore it, that's on them. At mm-hmm. least you tried.
0: Amen. I just like, uh, I, I hope I'm good at taking constructive criticism and feedback. But I always like it when they ask. You mind if I give you a suggestion? Just that helps me kind of yeah. get my center ready to receive whatever it may be. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you can ask anything almost whenever you frame it with that simple yeah. question. Mm-hmm. Well, we've we've gone a, for the past few minutes on this discussion very internally of ourselves but just to <laughs> re- remind our listeners we are talking about David. Yes. And the census is now complete. Yes. So let's 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 kind
1: of go there. What happens next? 10 months. Joab and the men return. They've done a tour of Israel. They've counted everybody. Now, Joab didn't really count everybody. He just couldn't bring himself to do exactly what David had said, and that's, mm. that's in another passage. So he reported numbers. You'll find a difference in the numbers between the two accounts, but Joab deliberately left out some people. So he gives David a number, and the job is done. Right Now, David in the night. I don't know what happened. David was awake in the night, and it says in 2 Samuel 24, verse 10, but David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. Hmm. So that means he had sat there those 10 months while Joab (laughs) was out there counting everybody, and if he thought about it, didn't think anything about it or enough about it to do anything, and now Joab's back, here's the report, and in the night he says, "Uh uh-oh, and he confesses in that night, I believe, to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O oh Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. That's Second Samuel 24 and verse 10.
0: Well, is this a one-and-done thing? Is it that he prays and then it moves on to the next narrative? What, what happens after David's prayer? Well, it's kind
1: of fascinating because we would say... We would hope for David's sake, yeah, that's it, that's all you need to worry about, as we would hope for our sake, that that's all we need to worry about when we make a mistake. Right. But we do know there is this concept of bringing forth fruits, meet for repentance, and it's like when we say we are sorry to God, Mm -hmm. is there anything that we need to change in our lives that can prove our words? So we always say repentance is a heart thing that's followed right. by outward changes. Right. So David has been convicted in his heart. He said, I'm sorry to the Lord. And that's not all that's needed in David's case.
0: You know, I see that in in marital conflict. You can say, I love you. You can say, I love you. But until your actions are speaking, I love you. The words, if there has been hurt, the words are not going to be enough. There needs to be something to tangible for reconciliation to occur. And uh, anyway, that hearing you talk about David pray, but then there may need to be some sort of tangible evidence of that in our lives too. Mm-hmm. It's a connection that, make, that makes me think of that. Um, you ask about getting away with it. so to speak. Maybe uh, if we were to do something and then we pray uh, and ask for forgiveness, uh, there is this hope that maybe we got away with it. So would you comment on that for a minute? But he did not answer the question because it was a cliffhanger that will leave you wanting more. And yet you shall not receive until next week, whenever the episode is launched. And I suppose if you're listening to this later than its release date, then you can just go over to the next episode and start it right away. But you need to come back next week if you want to get the second part of this mini series called The Cost of Our Sacrifice about King David and some very poor decisions he made and some of the ramifications that he had to deal with as a result of those decisions. So you need to come back next week because it's really important. We didn't really get that far in the story. So next week we're going to spend a lot of time uh, fleshing out the story, answering some powerful questions, and making applications. I think it's going to be really good. Obviously, I was there when the conversation happened, and I was there whenever it was edited, so I know what's coming, and I think it's really worth you listening to part two. So come back and listen to that episode whenever it is released. And until then, you can go to the website pureandsimplebible.com and check out all the stuff that you can download and use absolutely free. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see <laughs> <Do> you soon. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you Well, his roses...